0: Vibrant. vibrant vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music, music teachers. teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about improving teen retention by being more honest. Welcome back beautiful teachers. Our latest guest post is up on the blog today and it's from Ruth. It's one of my favorite recent ones actually. I love all our writers and what they write and their perspectives but I think this needs to be said (laughs) so I'm really glad Ruth wrote this for us. So she's talking about improving teen retention and this is an ongoing problem for many many piano studios. It's certainly not curable there is always going to be a certain amount of your teenage students in my view if you have none of them drop out then write to me tell me what you're doing but in my view you will always have some that drop out in their teen years it's just a time when so much is changing right they have so much bigger commitments in when they're age 12 here they go into secondary school it's similar to most of the world it's a big transition they often find new friends and they're expected to do an enormous amount of schoolwork <laughs> in a lot of the world. So they have longer school hours. They finish at four here and then they'll have hours and hours of school um, homework and then exams to prepare for, etc, cetera, et cetera. So a lot is changing. And at the same time, their world is becoming more socially focused. Instead of being family focused, where really their parents are the most important thing to them, they're shifting their perspective towards their friends right? That's part of becoming an independent adult, which is what they're working towards. So some of our teens, I hope, will stay with piano, but some will gracefully exit, and that is to be expected. However, we can increase the likelihood of them sticking around, especially if piano does suit them. It, we can increase the likelihood of them sticking around if they love it anyway, by being more straight with them. So there are some different aspects to this, which Ruth talks about, and I'll talk you through those here. First of all, she talks about being on their side. And this is really, to me, this is about having a proper relationship with your teenage students. So it is not just teacher on high talking down to a student. It is not that it's they're the kid and you're the adult in the situation. It needs to feel more level to them. They know that you have expertise and that they're learning from you for a reason. I'm not saying you need to pretend to be one of their mates, but you need them to know that you are on their side, on their level, speaking their language and no not using slang, but just speaking to them as an equal in a way. So this is about literally saying the truth in a lot of cases. Don't gloss over it. Don't Try to make things fun and silly that really you could just say directly and they would get it and no offense would be taken. The example Ruth gives is of saying that you need to play that section lighter. While we might be talking more in metaphors and things in some circumstances, sometimes we do just need to be direct. I would say this is true for kids as well, but I take Ruth's point that we need to talk more directly to our teens and we do need to still have fun with them. We just need them to know that we're doing it from a place of understanding how old they are, that it's fun, that we're having fun, too, that it's on our level as well, that it's not like we're playing with little kids anymore, that we do get that. So we often get questions inside VMT or from non-members even about whether we have games for teenagers or which games work for teenagers. And my answer is always most of them. Honestly, it depends on your attitude to it and how you introduce it to the teenagers. If you introduce it as, say it is something a little bit silly and giddy, right? And seems like it's made for a younger audience even. Although most of our games do not use super kiddy graphics, only the ones that are really for preschoolers and are designed as part of that curriculum. Only those really use very kiddy looking things. Otherwise, I try to make things fairly neutral and many members use them with adults even. But it's actually a bit more delicate with teens than with adults. Adults can take it in their stride. They know, you know, they're not a little kid. <laughs> Whereas teens need to pro- you to prove that to them, right? But I think it's all in our attitude. If we open up something and it does have a little bit of a silliness to it, if we can just acknowledge that or get involved with the silliness ourselves. If we approach it in the right way and we don't apologize for it or act like it's too babyish for them, I think they will just go with it. That's what I've found anyway. Another thing that Ruth brings up in her post, which I think is well put, is to give them your prognosis. So I've found this to be more and more true as my students get older, as she says, that sometimes we just need to have the... Slightly difficult conversation. It feels awkward to us. And I remember as a teen, it felt like sometimes I could feel adults' awkwardness, but there are so many conversations looking back now. I don't know if you agree with this, that I'm like, oh, that was excruciating for that adult. And I thought it was just difficult for me as the teenager receiving it. And now I look at it and I'm like, no, that was really hard for them to bring up with me or to have that conversation. So sometimes we do need to just be brave, put on our professional trousers (laughs) and bite the bullet and just say it and we need to say it fairly straight we don't need to be mean or callous of course not but if you have a student that they really are great in many areas but they play way too loud sometimes we need to just tell them (laughs) that they are great at so many things but we need to work on the volume right so We can just say what we mean. There's a previous episode of the podcast called Say What You Mean. That's really talking about talking to parents more than students, but I think it goes here too. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Say it straight to teenagers. There's nothing worse for a teen than feeling like you're dumbing something down or talking down to them. The other part to this great relationship building, I believe, is to make sure that it's always an open conversation. And with teenagers, they're not always the most talkative. So I think we need to keep inviting feedback from them, opinions from them. We need to invite them to tell us their goals and not always in the same structured way. So for example, we have like a thing at the end of each term where I ask students for something they're proud of and a goal for the next year. That's great. And some teens will answer that properly and very thoughtfully. Um, I've got some great answers from that. But others will do better with the little nudges, the little inquiries into their life and what they want out of piano in little ways over time. So you need to keep opening up that door. You need to keep inviting that conversation because otherwise they will (laughs) maybe default to the southern teenager, even though they don't want to be that way. And even though they might actually just be shy to tell you about something, even an outgoing kid. Now, I wasn't an outgoing teenager. Um, I've always been rather quiet, more so than I am now, although I'm still actually quite quiet in person. (laughs) I think sometimes people are surprised by that. But as a teenager, I was definitely much more quiet, much more um, self-conscious as teenagers are, but more so than a lot of my peers. And so I wouldn't have gone to my teacher and just brought something up out of the blue I wouldn't have said to them hey can we learn the Beatles because it's my dad's birthday coming up or anything like that I would have waited for the opening from them keep in mind that a teen might even put on a facade of being quite confident and outgoing and they might chat to you about all sorts of stuff but it might turn out that they're not really chatting to you about themselves so you need to be the one to bring that up. And the last section of Ruth's post, I think, is really interesting because she talks about, and I wouldn't have thought about this, but it's so true. She talks about setting examples to improve teen retention. And this is so true because I remember it again as a teenager myself. Hypocrisy is just one of the worst crimes, I think, for teenagers. When you see teachers who tell you to do one thing and do another, there's nothing that will more quickly damage your relationship and your trust between you and your teens and their feeling that you're on their side, that you're playing the game with them. Three things that Ruth talks about here are, first of all, investing in your own practice. So are you practicing yourself? Are you letting your skills fall behind? Do you talk, even if you are, do you talk to your teens about that? Are you honest with them about your struggles, about... Oh, I know some weeks are so hard. This week was terrible for me as well. When they say they had a tough practice week or a practice strategy that you just found out about and that you're excited about using yourself. Have those conversations, even if it's just a little taste, it will let them know that you're still working on this too, that you're doing the same thing they are. You know, that exclamation that comes out of kids and teens um, mouths that they just they say, oh, I think. Most adults just forget what it's like to be young, to be a kid, to be a teenager. Well, these are the things that help them see that you haven't forgotten, that you're still in the same boat as them. The next one I love, which is to always admit what you don't know. So this is an excellent example to set for our students. You don't get to fake it. You don't get to waffle. If they ask you about a term in their piece or an aspect of music history or anything, They ask you about it and you don't know. Tell them that. Do them the respect of just admitting it. This is even more true if they tell you about music that they're listening to that you have never heard of. Like a whole genre that they're listening to and you're like, what? That doesn't even sound like a word. Tell them, hey, I've never heard of that. Can you give me some examples of bands that you like? Because I would love to listen to it. Honestly, you'll say that and the teenager, especially if you're a little bit older, maybe the teenager is more likely to think, yeah, she's not going to actually do it. But they'll give you the examples if you push, right? And then listen to them and tell them something about it the next week. I remember being astonished when my dad, actually, when I was a teenager, I loved Green Day and I had their live album sitting around the house and my dad listened to it one afternoon when when I was out or something and commented on it and I was just I was flabbergasted honestly and my dad listens to good music I don't know why I was so astonished but it was that he'd actually taken the time it was that he'd taken it seriously enough that's what it was it was that he didn't think oh that's what my silly teenage daughter is listening to he'd looked at it said I've never heard of this band And put it, it was a DVD actually, put it in the DVD player and watched it. And even if he had hated it, it was the fact that he chose to watch it of his own volition because he was taking seriously what kind of music it was because he was curious about it. So you can do the same thing for your teens. If they bring something up or you prompt them and they mention in a tiny little voice about some band they like, listen to it and bring it up the next time. Find something positive to say about it that is true. Because they will sense if it's totally not true. But find something positive. And I promise you, you can. If you go into it with an open mind, you can. If you even listen to, I don't know, something that is totally not your wheelhouse. For example, for me, heavy metal is just not my thing. Okay? Let's say my student likes heavy metal. Well, I can listen to that. If I listen properly, don't have to spend ages on this, but if I listen properly... I can figure out some kind of chord progression that's buried underneath all the noise (laughs) that I recognise and that matches another song I know, right? So I don't even have to say or imply that I like that song, but I can appreciate some element of it, some lyric, some chord progression, some instrument choice that is interesting, that I can connect to musically. And then the third part of the example setting for Ruth is to normalise inviting feedback inviting feedback from them. If you're going to give feedback to them all the time, it makes us a bit of a hypocrite if we never accept it from them. And it does make it feel like they're the little student still and we're the big teacher and what we say goes. So you can hand out a written survey or you can just ask these questions as part of a conversation. Here are some questions that Ruth suggests. What do you think your greatest musical strength is? What area do you think you need to grow in the most? What parts of our lessons help you the most? What parts of your practice do you see the most success and growth with? If we were to cut out one aspect of your lessons, of our lessons to give us more focus on the other areas, what would you cut? If we were to add one new area of study to our lessons, what would you add? And the most scary but enlightening word says, Am I doing a good job as a teacher? Now that one I would say, Almost needs to be in writing, because if you ask that point blank to a student, I think they would have a really hard time giving you proper feedback. But the other ones are certainly ones that come up for me all the time. And I do ask students these things, sometimes just randomly. And sometimes it is at a natural point, like the end of term or when they're finishing up on some project or another and working towards the next one. We'll just ask them and say, hey, is there anything that we're not doing that you would love to be included in your lessons? Or is there anything we're doing that you're just not into at all and you've been too polite to tell me? You can say things like that to teenagers. Some of them will laugh it off. But if you start that kind of conversation often, they'll start to realize that they can give you feedback and that you will take it well. So take it well. (laughs) Your one thing this week is to reflect on how honest you are with your teens in your piano studio. Are you setting a good example for them? Or are you saying one thing and doing another? Are you straight with them when you can be? Do you say it like you mean it? I would love to hear your thoughts on improving your teen retention in general, on being more honest with our students, You can leave a comment on the article that goes along with this episode on the Colorful Keys blog, or you can come find me on Instagram. We're at Colorful Keys. I'll see you there. If you ever get overwhelmed by all the different teacher training options out there, Vibrant Music Teaching is the place for you. We nickname our members Flamingos because they're masters of balancing all of the things and making it all work in a way that isn't overwhelming. We have tools to help you do that inside Vibrant Music Teaching. So go to vmt.ninja and sign up today.